Hello Church. Today's reading is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 3 to 13. Verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, welcome wherever you're joining us from today. It's great to be with you and a real privilege to be able to gather with you under God's word together. Uh, We are going through some pretty crazy times at the moment, particularly those of us in Victoria. Uh, We are in a stage four lockdown. And so just to come in here to church today to film this message, I had to make sure that I was Uh, wearing my mask and I had to make sure I had a copy of my permit from the government uh, that says I can be here on site to film this message today. Uh, And yet, you know, it's so encouraging that in the midst of uh, these strange times, we can remember that God's word still speaks, that God's word has been speaking to Christians through the centuries, irrespective of the circumstances they find themselves in, good or bad, God's word speaks. And I love what it says in in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching and for rebuking and for correcting and for training in righteousness so that the people of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. And so that's the purpose of us gathering around God's word this morning so that we can hear God speak. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're continuing our series through this great letter and we're going to be looking at chapter 6 verse 3 through to verse 13. I want to jump straight in. So let's begin with verse 3 of chapter 6. We're not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed, Paul says. Now you remember the ministry that he's speaking of is the, the ministry that we looked at last week, the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says that each one of us who has been reconciled to God, that is, turned from an enemy into a friend through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That, that, remember Paul said in verse 21 uh, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, perfect in every way, to be sin for us 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. And, 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 and Paul is saying that ministry that we now have as reconciled people, to, to call people back into reconciled relationship with God, that beautiful ministry of bringing people into saving relationship with God, that ministry can be blamed when Christians cause offense. So he says, again, verse 3, we are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry of reconciliation will not be blamed. You know, one of the great scandals of our time, one of the great scandals of human history is when people who wouldn't call themselves Christians are turned away from Jesus and the reconciliation he offers right the the full life that he offers when they're turned away from that because of the behavior the bad behavior of Christians Christians bringing the gospel into disrepute is tragic that someone might reject Jesus the perfect embodiment of love that someone might reject him because of the behavior of Christians, Christians not living as Jesus lived is just tragic. It's heartbreaking. And I know we have a few people with us this morning in our Zoom groups, a few people who wouldn't call themselves Christians. And it might be that somewhere down the line, you were turned away from following Jesus or even kind of wanting to know more about Jesus because of the behavior of Christians, because the, the, the followers of Jesus weren't being good representatives of Jesus. They weren't being good disciples. They weren't being good followers. They weren't being good Christians, like little Christs, right? If that's the case, then I want to say to you this morning, anyone who has been hurt by Christians or turned away from Jesus by Christians, I want to say, I am deeply sorry. Deeply sorry and grieved that that has been the case for you. That is tragic. That is scandalous. I'm so sorry. Paul says, we are not giving anyone an occasion for offense. We're not doing anything. As far as it depends on us, we are not giving anyone any occasion for offense. So that the ministry of reconciliation, so that the gospel, so that Jesus' perfect atoning work on the cross and in his resurrection won't be blamed, won't come into disrepute. This is why when Christians discredit the gospel, when Christians' behavior isn't congruent with the life and love of Jesus, this is why it's so tragic. Because we take something beautiful like reconciliation with God and we make it an offense to the very people 
who need to see it in its beauty, in its glory, in its truth. I think it was Gandhi who said, um, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. That should hurt. That should sting. Because all of us at some level have been that Christian. So unlike Christ. And so I'm so sorry. I have been that Christian. I have behaved in that way that might have turned you away from Jesus, from life and love and salvation and reconciliation. So I'm sorry. We're sorry. And Christians, let me speak to the Christians. Guys, this is not good enough. It's not. I know that none of us can live a perfect life like Jesus did. I remember my first week here at Caroline Springs, as it was known then, the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. My first week here uh, on the Sunday, I had my first service. I met a bunch of people in the church. On the Monday, I was in the town square and witnessed some behavior from one of those people in the church that alarmed me. Uh, won't go into details, uh, and I don't mean to shame anyone, but it was alarming. On the Tuesday, the following day, I had that person come in and had kind of like a a face-to-face kind of talk about what being a Christian means for our behavior, particularly in the public square. And this person was indignant. And to be fair, I came along uh, like way too strong and by God's grace, I do that less now than I did 10 years ago. Uh, but anyway, they were indignant. They were offended. And the, the, what they said to me was, very clearly, I, I remember this. They said, you know what? I'm not perfect. And yeah, Christians, we know. You're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect until Jesus makes us perfect, along with all of creation but it's still not good enough that we can go about our lives with such a disjunct between the the behavior the life the love the lifestyle of the savior that we follow and us as his followers Paul says, let me say it one more time, we are not giving anyone an occasion for offence so that the ministry will not be blamed. Jesus said, John 13, 35, by this shall everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul's going to get into a little bit more about what that life of love looks like in in just a little bit. But before we get to that, he's going to lay out for us a few ways in which instead of leading people to 
be offended by the ministry of reconciliation and turned away from Jesus. Instead of living that way, he gives us a few ways in which we can live as followers of Jesus. So the first way is not the first way I would have uh, explained it to the church. It's not the first example I would have given. It's a bit counterintuitive. Uh, But he says in verse 4 to 5, instead, right, instead of bringing the gospel into disrepute, instead of turning people away from Jesus, instead of giving them a, a cause to blame this beautiful ministry of reconciliation, instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. Paul says the first way that we show people beauty of this ministry of reconciliation, the way that we attract them rather than turn them away, turn them off. The way that we do that, first of all, is through suffering for the sake of the gospel. Right? All the things that he mentioned there, that, that list, which is by no means exhaustive, is as we give ourselves over to this ministry of reconciliation, even when it costs us dearly, that is one way that God uses to draw people to himself, draw people into reconciled relationship with him. So this is just the truth of the Christian life. As I said last week, the Christian life is a cruciform life, a cross-shaped life. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So this is the pattern of life before each one of us as Christians. And Paul says, it's not for nothing. right? It's not random. It's not arbitrary. It has the effect of drawing people into relationship with God through Jesus. One of the most powerful examples of this, and you can go through church history and find 10,000 of them, but one of the most powerful examples that I've read is of a Maasai warrior named Joseph. And... Uh, he turned up one day at a, in Amsterdam at a Billy Graham conference for evangelists. And it was there that he told his story to a guy named Michael Card, and he recorded it. I'd like to read it for you. This is Joseph the Maasai and his experience of suffering for the sake of the gospel. One day, Joseph who was walking along one of these hot, dirty African roads, met with someone who shared the gospel of Jesus with him. Then and there he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. 
The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was to return to his own village and share that same good news with the people of his local tribe. Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross of Jesus and the salvation it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way his had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground, while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a waterhole and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he had received from people he had known all his life. He decided he must have left something out or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. After rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, He was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. That is a powerful story, not a unique story. Ever since Jesus laid down his life for the people he loved, Christians have been laying down their lives for those around them. And there is a mysterious quality that we see when people willingly suffer for the sake of the gospel, that it tends to have a drawing effect. Part of that, I think, is just the fact that the onlooking world, the people who wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus, 
can see in this person, in this suffering, in this determination to share the good news irrespective of the cost, they see that this thing isn't nothing. It's not a nominal thing. No one would go through what Joseph went through. No one would go through what Paul went through for nothing, for a lie, for a nominal faith, for a tribal allegiance. Only for something as precious and powerful as the gospel would someone go so far. So that's the first thing he says we can do. The second thing Verse 6 to 7, he says, By purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Here he's talking about Christian living. He's talking about Christian ethics. He's talking about purity of life. He's talking about righteousness, which means it's another way of saying right living, right? These weapons of righteousness are not weapons used to destroy. They're weapons used to demonstrate a life of right living, a a life of Purity, a a life of wisdom or knowledge, as he says, a a life patterned after Jesus himself. So Paul says the way that we live, in contrast to the way that we live that turns people away, there is a way that we live both through suffering and through purity of life, through holiness, through righteous living, right living, that has a drawing effect For those around us, our character ought to be like that of our Savior, Jesus. One of the most beautiful summaries of this way of living is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it comes to us from Paul in the book of Romans and I just want to read it for you now and just hear this as a summary of what he means for us to live rightly all right so Romans 12 9 to 18 you might even just like to close your eyes and listen to these words they're so beautiful he says let love Be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Just a beautiful illustration of what the Christian life should look like as a church in community to a watching world. I just want to say I feel so encouraged at the moment looking around at Red Door Church, uh, at the people of Red Door Church, stepping out, taking initiative, right, outdoing one another in showing honour, in order to serve people who are in particular need at this time. And I know many of you will be able to draw on ready examples of stuff that's going on right now that the church is responding so well to. And the, the most beautiful thing about this is I don't even know the half of it, right? So much of this is happening with certainly without me initiating or orchestrating it, but even without me knowing about it. And it's just simply... Jesus people, right? People who live like Jesus, living out their faith in Jesus in order to serve those around them. And, I, and I've had a conversation this past week with someone who wouldn't call themselves a follower of Jesus, who has heard about some of the stuff that's going on in our community. And yes, they are being drawn to Jesus as a result. What Paul has said here is true. I praise God for you and for what you're doing, and I praise God for enabling every single bit of it. All of this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he says there in verse 6. By the Holy Spirit, we're able to live this kind of beautiful, cross-shaped, community-centered life. Then he moves on from those two examples of how we can live in order to draw people to the reconciling God that we serve. He goes on to explain that some of the, the, the context in which we, we commend ourselves as ministers of reconciliation. So here's what he says in verse 8 to 10. This is the world that we live in as ministers of reconciliation. Through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. What he says is, and I love this, this is so true, he says this, the context in which we do this ministry in this life, the context in which we do all of this is going to be mixed. It's going to be good and bad. It's going to be peaks and valleys. It's going to be shot through with ambiguity. 
I love how honest he is here as he kind of just opens up his heart to the Corinthians. One thing I know for sure, having been a Christian now since I was 19, now 39, right, 20 years, what I know for sure is that this life that we live is not all triumph. It's not all victory. It's mixed. It's the now and not yet. The now is a, is a world that is still broken, fractured, darkened by sin. The not yet is the, the life that Jesus has promised us, that he will bring to full restoration when he returns. But we're caught between these two things. We're kind of caught between, as N.T. Wright says, between two millstones from below and above, and they grind us down. This life is shot through with ambiguity it's part of the reason i never really know how to answer someone when they say you know how are you well i don't know good and bad saint and sinner earth and new earth this is the truth this is the reality of the life that we live now in the body it, it's paul knows better than anyone else some of you were sold the lie when you became a christian that this life is going to be all triumph it was going to be all victory it was just going to be beer and skittles and praise and worship right and and then you became a christian you found out actually that's not the case Actually, it's quite reassuring to figure out and to, to experience that that's not the case. The Bible makes a lot more sense if that's not the case. What Paul is saying here is the context in which we minister is going to be mixed. There's ambiguity here, and that's okay. Now to finish, Paul does what he often does in this letter, and you see this throughout. He just, he, he, he just pours out his heart. It's like he's being kind of task-focused. He, you know, he really wants these, the, the Corinthians to know these things, and then just, just here and there, his, his heart just breaks for them and just pours out onto the page. He really is in turmoil over the state of these believers whom he loves so much. He knows the threat that they're under from these super apostles, right? these false apostles who are undermining his ministry, his gospel. And so he just pours out his heart to them and it, just, it breaks through onto the page. Verse 11 to 13, he says, We have spoken openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. I speak to you as my children, as a proper response. Open your hearts to us. He's pleading with them. He just wants them to, to openly receive this letter from him and to, to see the reality of his genuine love and concern for them. He knows that these relationships that he's articulated, what, what the, the kind of shape of Christian community, the way that we ought to live, depends on 
um, integrity of relationships, right? Openness, vulnerability. And so he's pleading with them that they would open their hearts. Now, if you're like me, I mean, I can really relate to these guys, these Corinthians, to the extent that they're shielding themselves from being vulnerable. I, I can relate to that. If you're anything like me, you tend to shield yourself from vulnerability. And maybe you have stuff that's gone on in your past that has reinforced that as a kind of a instinctive response. When the opportunity to be vulnerable comes along, you close up for the sake of protecting yourself. I know that's the case for me as well. This was kind of exposed uh, in the uh, two weeks ago. I received a message from one of you in our church and uh, it was an opportunity for me to open my heart to this person and uh, I'm just going to look it up so I can read it for you. I did what many of us do when we're given this opportunity and I didn't just shut it down what I did was much more clever than that and I instead tried to sanctify my lack of response and make it a godly thing and you know have a kind of a scriptural smoke screen to prevent me from having to actually engage and open my heart to this person Anyway, this is how the message went. He sent this to me. Howdy, Jono. Thought I would touch base and say, G'day, man. Wondering how you are doing this week. Opportunity there for me to be real, to open my heart, right? I responded, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Smiley face. To which he responded, believe it or not, Jono, I'm actually genuinely interested in your welfare. I feel like this response, while very biblical, Christian-like is not very real. Like you're deflecting. I could be very wrong, but... But he wasn't very wrong. To be fair to me, just a little defence, I kind of was feeling the way that I quoted him, right, from 2 Corinthians. I was feeling that way, but using that passage was a way of preventing me from actually having to share and also reinforcing in his mind that I know my Bible and that I'm a very spiritual spiritual person. And he, thank God, he saw through all of that and actually called me into what Paul is calling the Corinthians into, open-hearted, genuine, loving relationship with one another. I'm so pleased that our church isn't reflective of me and my deficiencies. Our church, I have found, and others who have come in have told me, they have found our church to be very open-hearted, 
very transparent, not hypocritical, but genuine in its affection. I praise God for that. Well, I've taken up all of my time. I'd love to bless us as we go, just with a, a word of blessing from God. This is not uh, something I do as some kind of, um, you know, clerical, super spiritual person, but just it's just a form of prayer asking God to bless us as we take up this ministry of reconciliation this week. All right? Friends, brothers, sisters, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen.